So uh, maybe you're looking for a quality belt. If you're looking for a quality wallet, you want some great socks. Well, I don't know how to make any of those things for you, unfortunately. But Grip6 does. Grip6 is a great company. They know belts inside and out. You can check them out at grip6.com slash stew. Uh, Grip6 is a small company in Utah. They sell in the United States and all over the world, but they source almost everything they use to make their products right here in America. Why? They have this crazy thing that they actually like the country. <laughs> I, I know it's weird when you think of a company. Yes, but they actually really do love this country. Uh, they have great belts, great wallets, and uh, socks as well. Socks are like wool, American wool. Um, that keep your feet warm but aren't like too thick. You've got the belts that are fantastic. They don't set off all the you know metal detectors and stuff. You get those. Uh, and they have a great little loop to pull it out of your pocket. Plus, they keep all your cards and your cash nice and flat so you're not getting the big George Costanza wallet. Go to grip6.com slash stew. Check out all their great stuff and realize this is a company that actually likes you. Grip6.com slash stew. The code for 15% off. Grip the number 6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today. several things that we are going to cover your economy there are some things happening that you need to be aware of we're going to do that in about half an hour also uh i want you to listen to this and tell me what is dangerous about this developing this is from an investigative reporter developing investigators reportedly met back in june with trump and his lawyers in mar-a-lago storage room to survey docs and things seem copacetic but then FBI raids weeks later. Speculation on Hill, FBI had personal stake and searching for classified docs related to its Spygate scandal. That tweet got that investigative reporter banned. How many times are we gonna go through this? We had Hunter Biden, you got, you were deleted and banned if you brought that up. Spygate, COVID origins, uh, information about Ukraine, uh, COVID vaccines. We said they won't stop it. Vaccines have a problem. CDC has real problems. Now it's Marlago and the FBI. When does the press actually find freedom? Paul Sperry joins us on the problems with the FBI in 60 seconds. Andrea wrote in about her experience with Relief Factor. She says, I'm your biggest fan, and I have a wonderful story for you. I had a torn rotator cuff from working in the yard. I was in so much pain. After taking Relief Factor for only two days, I began to feel a difference. And after four days, I wasn't in pain anymore. I couldn't believe it. Glenn, thank you so much for Relief Factor. Andrea, thank you so much for writing in. Glad you got your life back. 
Relief Factor is not a drug. It was developed by doctors, and it has four key ingredients that fight inflammation, which is the source of most of the pain that we deal with. It could work for you. Try the three-week quick start to develop for you because they know it's not going to work for everybody. About 70% of the people who order it go on to order more. So if you're part of that 70%, your life is going to change. If not, they don't want you taking it for a long time. That's where they're straight up. Try it for three weeks. Follow the instructions and take as directed. ReliefFactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. 800-4-RELIEF. It's ReliefFactor.com. We have uh, Paul Sperry on uh, with us now. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> Good. Um, Paul is uh, a senior staff writer at RealClearInvestigations.com, columnist also at the New York Post, and he is also a Hoover Institution media fellow. We have him on because tomorrow night's special, uh, Wednesday night special, is a weaponized government, how the Mar-a-Lago raid is an attack on all of us. So, Paul, what was it that Twitter found so offensive about, about your reporting? Well, that's still a mystery. Uh, they kicked me off the day after Trump's home was raided, and I was in the middle of tweeting uh, more about the raid, and suddenly I got a, a message that popped up said, you have been permanently suspended. You're permanently? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it, no reasons given. Didn't say what, what rules or policies I allegedly had violated to prompt that. Um, yeah, so they canceled my account without any explanation, which is, by the way, a violation of their own rules. Because if you look them up, they're, they're supposed to, quote, explain which policy you may have violated yeah, and, yeah. Which content, and which content was in violation. And they did not do that in my case because they know I didn't break any rules. So isn't one of the guys at Twitter... Isn't he a former FBI high-ranking guy? Uh, yeah, the uh, deputy general counsel uh, is uh, the the mm. Comey's uh, Jim Comey Comey's general counsel, former gen- general counsel of the FBI headquarters. His name's James Baker. So he he was uh, uh, disgraced after uh, the the FISA warrant abuse scandal. He left. And then Twitter picked him up, and now he is. Uh, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure screening any matters, any you know, content-based matters that may have a, a legal issue, something like that, would be um, a run up to him. And uh, so he has a lot of influence at Twitter. Do you have any idea if he's the one who banned you? No idea. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of a black hole for, of information, isn't it? Um, so. Talk to me a little bit about, because I'm really concerned about the FBI and the whole government. Right now, government agents have um, a bigger, I don't even know what you would call it, uh, police force than we have Marines. That's a little staggering. Yeah, it's it's getting, getting crazy out there. Um, I mean... This has also gotten very personal between the former president and the FBI. And, you know, this is uh, like a full-blown war between the ex-president of the United States and, and, and the federal police. You know, when does that ever happen? Uh, n- never uh, that, I, that I know of. So how concerned are you? I mean, are you hearing from good FBI agents and enough of them to give you confidence that 
at least the the average rank and file is not involved in this and won't put up with it? Or what is your feeling? Well, a lot of them aren't uh, putting up with it. There's been a number of whistleblowers that have come out to Senator Grassley recently, so they're getting fed up with the politicization of the Bureau. And um, unfortunately, the, the same FBI division that ran the corrupt Russiagate operation and, by the way, coddled Hillary and Hunter uh, in those investigations, that they ran the, the questionable Trump raid. And uh, they're now running what appears to be Russiagate 2.0. Jeez. It, it's the, it's the counterintelligence uh, division in Washington, even, even though it's the focus of special counsel Durham's investigation of that prior corruption. I, I talked to John Solomon yesterday, and he said that um, he, was, he was fairly confident that um, these documents still exist. He's trying to get them from the National Archives, copies of them. Um, but he, he wasn't quite sure what, what documents they were really looking for. Do you have any idea on that? Well, um, some former FBI and DOJ officials told me they suspect the FBI may have used the raid to cover their tracks in, in this Russiagate scandal. Uh, they may be trying to deep-six any evidence that Trump might have kept on them. Um, in other words, you know, Trump, Trump may have had proof of their crimes, and they had to make sure that proof, that proof never saw the light of day. Um, it, it's, a pretty, it's a fairly reasonable assumption. Um, <laughs> that they're sifting sifting through those boxes uh, to look for that information uh, that would have a vested interest, especially if they're they're under investigation criminally by Durham right now to make sure that those documents, if Trump had them, uh, you know, do not become public. And is it true that uh, Biden uh was signed an order saying we're not going to release these things and, you know, his uh, uh, his order to release and to make them public is rescinded, which it's my understanding that's never happened before. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, A.G. Garland came in, that ju- the Justice, Par- Justice Department um, put the kibosh in that uh, declassification order. And it was the, the last, literally the last hour of his presidency wasn't it that they right. pulled them right and so uh they they have their own roadmap they know what um what was in that binder and um they they want to make sure that there's not some copies in, in the seven boxes that they pulled out of uh, mar-a-lago and by the way a careful reading of of that warrant shows basically they basically uh, that the, the warrant basically allowed the, the agents to take anything they wanted from Trump's home. So, so no, no telling what they got and what they're going to do with it, um, how they're going to use it against Trump. It's, it's just, it looks like it was a complete fishing expedition. Um, and by the way, that, uh, that belies assurances that we got in that press conference from the attorney general. Um, he said that he told everybody, uh, you know this that, that that the investigation was narrowly focused and the search warrant was narrowly scoped. Not even it was a it was a general warrant. Yeah, yeah the release of that warrant shows that that uh, he, he misled, misled the public and acted in bad faith. Uh, so that that already uh, gives 
anybody, including most of all Trump, pause uh, skepticism to believe that their current assurances that the affidavit, which is uh, the document that supports or allegedly would support pro- probable cause of a crime being committed to warrant such a, a, a raid and a search, uh, was properly supported. And, you know, you've got the whole track record of the FBI um, just c- completely uh, acting dishonestly and unethically in swearing out warrants for uh, FISA court uh, surveillance on one of Trump's advisors. So, yeah, Trump is not a dumb, stupid man. He is not. He plays three-dimensional chess at times. Um, he might appear to be uh, flying by the seat of his pants, and I think sometimes he is. But he's he's smart enough to, if he has those documents not just leave them in a box. He would have copied them or given a copy to his attorneys or someplace for safekeeping. Is, would that be illegal? Uh, no. And, and, you know, he, he had um, skiffs set up for him in Bedminster, his, his, his place in Bedminster and also Mar-a-Lago. People don't report this, but he was very careful whenever he would go um, to these homes, uh, you know, second White House homes, like every president, uh, he, the Secret Service built uh, under the direct intelligence community uh, sensitive compartmented information facilities within his residences. And that's where he would receive his presidential daily briefings. He would uh, store classified documents in there. Uh, so this, this whole notion that he's this reckless guy who's strewing around, you know, top secret national secrets, nuclear secrets everywhere, that's BS because he had skiffs set up. This was all done just like every other president has had done in their secondary homes. Um, how concerned uh, are you or when does this uh, end? What will it take for this to end? The collusion between the government and for instance twitter or others where the government we now know has told uh people clearly uh at twitter you really need to do something about this person what is it going to take this is such an end run against our constitution these public private partnerships with these media companies and with social media do you see a way to Stop that? Well, you're right. These gatekeepers uh, in big tech have so much power over our free speech uh, these days. And um, uh, you would have to have somebody like Elon Musk, a very deep-pocketed billionaire, to come in and take over, uh, which doesn't look good now, especially with this latest um, cybersecurity whistleblower coming out and saying that there was a lot of more fake accounts than they let on. So that kind of strengthens mm. Musk's case to back out of the deal. It's that's not very hopeful for guys like me or, or you know political prisoners locked in uh, right jail. But you know he, he someone like that would have to get in there and um, you know, get rid of this this Twitter's new CEO this this guy. Um, you know, he, he wants to focus, he actually was caught saying that he wants to focus less on free speech 
and more on, quote, choosing who can be heard, especially in election years, apparently. Um, so, yeah, that's the guy who's running this thing. He's this Indian fellow. I forget his, uh, uh, I think it's Pagram or something like that. Um, you know, the, the, it starts from the top. And um, guys like that, you know, they're mostly very liberal Democrats who are running Twitter, including their board. And so that's what it would take. Put some fair-minded people in there who, you know, respect and, and love free speech. Mm. And, you know, not, not one way, not conservative, I'm not saying a conservative way or the other. And I think that Elon Musk would be someone like that because he really does want a free-for-all yeah. on a social media platform. He doesn't want, you know, to, to skew things one way or the other. Right, right. right. And that's how it should be. Yes. You know, inciting violence. You put it out there and it's up to the people to decide what they want to believe or how, you know, and leave it up to the debate. And eventually uh, the truth will will percolate up uh, through through, uh, free debate. And that's not what the the, the current Twitter uh, powers that be want. They want, like this guy said, we want to choose who can be heard uh, and who can shape our, our political narrative uh, the best. And people who are running fact-based content like me and fact-driven content uh, that is uh, inconvenient to that narrative, uh, they don't want on their platform. Well, for now, you can fall, find Paul Sperry at realclearinvestigations.com. That's realclearinvestigations.com. Paul, thank you so much. God bless. Keep us up to date, will you? Thanks, Glenn. You bet. Bye-bye. Well, kids are going back to school, and uh, parents are so sad. Oh, my gosh. Stu, you sad at your household? The kids are back at school. I like my children. Oh, Unlike, I don't know what kind of weird (laughs) thing you're trying to walk me into. Yeah, yeah. Wait until they're they're teenagers. (laughs) Anyway, uh, if you want to prepare your kids for school, you really need to minimize the damage uh, from activist teachers. Uh, and prepare them for the world. You need to get them the Tuttle Twins books. The Tuttle Twins have eight different book bundles for kids of different ages, and every bundle is on sale this week only. Tuttle Twins have sold over 4 million copies to parents just like you because they help your kids fight wokeness with knowledge. You know what our kids are exposed to. It is really bad. Tomorrow we're going to be doing a segment on what's happening in your school and also... What resources do you have? Don't miss tomorrow's uh, podcast and broadcast. TuttleTwinsBeck.com. Get big discount on all of their bundles. It's TuttleTwinsBeck.com. Do it for your kids' future. TuttleTwinsBeck.com. 10 seconds. Station ID. So Chicago dweller Adam Kotso, a faculty member at the Shimmer Great Books School of North Central College, which sounds like a powerhouse, has publicly opined now that individuals should not reside in rural settings. Quote, in discussions of reducing car dependency, one often hears, what about the people in remote rural areas? My gut instinct is people shouldn't be living there in the first place. The solution is to give them generous grants to relocate among other humans. He is also the author of multiple books. He said, uh, 
What if they like living in remote areas? Sorry, you can't always get what you want. Wow. A lot of people would like to live in dense, transit-rich settings, but can't, either because they can't afford it or it simply doesn't exist where they are. And if this sounds harsh, don't worry, it will never happen because our governmental institutions are insanely biased in favor of rural areas. Oh, yeah, that's true. They'll be fine. I'm just a guy over here having an opinion. Isn't it mean to imply it isn't to mean to imply that rural people's lifestyle is bad or wrong. As someone who lives in Chicago, all I can say is cry me a river. Wow. He says that people who are living in the center of the country are essentially trapped and we have to do what we have to do because we can't have all these cars. And so we've got to get rid of all these cars in rural areas. You know, it's hard to not have a car in rural areas. By the way, uh, see if this sounds like something we were told was a conspiracy theory. Uh, right now, Canada, the government stepped in to, rece- uh, to remove citizens' abilities to bank, if you disagree with them. They're censoring everything having to do with Russia, Visa, MasterCard, and Australia. A bank now will not loan you money to buy a car if it's a gas-powered car. Starting in 2025. Hmm. Huh. Now, this is a business decision by the bank. Uh Uh-huh. This is also exactly what we told you was coming with ESG. So you don't buy a car that they want you to buy. You can't get that loan. Mm, it's fascinating. Uh, Paul Bryan is a, a a friend of ours, and he is a, a you know big auto journalist. Been around for a long time, talking about cars and tries to, all the new cars when they come out. He's driving them. He's test driving them. Right. You know, voting on car of the year, all the yeah, big things. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's currently, I think, driving uh, one of the new electric trucks, and says that there he's at not at his house, but like at a public charging station, thirteen hours for a charge. 13 hours so imagine you're <laughs> so you work a 13 hour day <laughs> well no it's not a, it's not at his work it's at, it's at a like a grocery store you go you i just you've got to shop a lot you got to buy a lot of freaking groceries you got to stock up for the next 12 years each time you go to the grocery store so you can get a charge well you don't have to shop the whole time you could panhandle so you could afford the groceries in the grocery store and it's important to point out too a lot of times when you're stopping at these public charging stations you're still paying it's not free. You're still paying. Program. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, let me tell you about your home. It isn't just where you live. It isn't where just where you raise your kids, take your meals, watch football on TV. It is also an investment tool, something which can help you firm up your financial well-being. That's especially true right now because home values are still up around 20%, probably the biggest investment of your life. If you have some equity stacked up in that, being able to access that could really make a difference in your monthly payments. Imagine using some of that to pay off your high-interest credit card debt. So they're not hanging over your head anymore, and you can pay them off at 5% interest a lot faster than 20 or 25% interest. I want you to take 10 minutes out of your day today and call American Financing. No pressure. They're not trying to sell you something. They just want to help guide you and your family towards a better financial future. Call American Financing. 
800-906-2440. They're waiting for your call right now, 800-906-2440 or AmericanFinancing.net. Head over to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Join the movement. You can use the promo code Glenn to save 10 bucks. The number of Americans that describe themselves as economic suffering uh, is now at the index uh, highest since the poll started to be taken. It is the highest in 2008. Um, More and more people are saying that uh, they're not thriving. It was about 60% in June 2021. And uh, now July, it is 51.2%. That's still pretty good. Half the country considers themselves thriving. But what um, what is concerning is the number of Americans who are suffering from that. There's a few things to uh, mention to you here. Uh, Democrats have put in the climate law that could be a game changer. It was in the um, Build Back Better or Inflation Reduction Bill. They put it in at the last hour to pretty much deal with the EPA ruling from the Supreme Court. They now can and have the money to regulate all kinds of things that they say are toxic to the planet. Um, one, um, one other thing, Morgan Stanley said, cash looks relatively attractive right now. Um, I wanted to bring in Carol Roth. She is um, the author of The War on the Small Business and a former investment banker who left the dark side uh, to wield the power of the force on the light side. Uh, she's got a new piece out for the blaze.com. Try, uh, stop trying to turn America into Europe. Europe is self-destructing, and we won a war, so we didn't need to follow suit. Carol, I keep hearing all kinds of warnings about this fall and what's going to happen. I'm really concerned. Are you seeing, is that real? Is that not real? Yeah, I've been calling it sort of the horror movie economy. I feel like everyone is taking this breather because we've gotten some data that doesn't look quite as bad as the really bad data. And so I liken it to a horror movie where all of a sudden everybody thinks, okay, the killer is dead and we're going to walk back into the shed that has all the chainsaws. Mm. Don't do that. The killer is not dead. That's not where you should be. And so I really think that it is sort of this pause. We haven't hit... Um, the depths of the sort of economic recession um, that is potentially going to come later this year and into next year and you know, the, the rolling over of the labor market and some of these bright spots, I think, are going to start to deteriorate. If you just look at the consumer, which is 70% of our economy, you know, they have a the personal savings rate is at the lowest level since the Great Recession financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And we know that credit card debt is up um, double digits since the beginning of the year. So the financial balance sheet of the average American is weakening. And you know, all of these things are likely going to come together on top of issues, you know, again with energy, where we've seen a little bit of a, a reprieve. Here. I, I saw a story that came out of Switzerland about how they are um, begging the people to be prepared for what is coming with food shortages and some sort of an economic collapse. 
um, because of the situation with energy. Uh, and I mean, there it is. It's spooky coming from the Swiss who are usually just drinking their hot chocolate and are happy. Um, when you're talking about poverty and social unrest, that's a little terrifying. And it seems to be happening all over Europe. Are they ahead of us in real economic trouble? I certainly think they are because they're also ahead of us in this anti-human flourishing um, energy policy in terms of, you know, turning over, you know, what could have been a great source of energy and being more dependent on sources, um, even though we've had some of that here in the United States, certainly not you know anywhere near the extent that they have in Europe. Um, and depending on the, the particular country, you know, we've got countries like the Netherlands, which are huge exporters of food that are now saying, oh, well, you know, you can't do this and you can't do this and trying to take away some of the farming at the time when we really need it. So it really seems like there is this uh, sort of anti-human effort that is going on across the globe, um, starting in Europe and now migrating to America. That's basically like, we don't care if you are suffering because we have this great initiative that we are, uh, you know, that we're pushing and we don't care what the, the fallout is. Um, from that. And it's terrifying. I mean, this this is something that is terrifying. And it's why it is so important that we push back on that lunacy. If Europe wants to do that, that's fine. But as I said, our founding fathers won a war so that we didn't have to go across the pond and, and take a, you know dictation from them. We need to say, no, this is not the path that we're going down. Um, and unfortunately, it's the path that the Democrats want to go down. So I was talking to Vivek Ramaswamy. How much of an impact he's now, he told me, $250 million uh, in the first two weeks. How much of an impact do you think this can have on moving us toward uh, um, energy companies saying, I don't care what BlackRock says? Well, you know, the the big energy or the big um, asset managers, I think between the big three have, you know, something like $20 trillion in assets under management. So $250 million is a valiant effort. And I'm not trying to downplay it because we need to start somewhere. Um, but, you know, it is currently a drop in the bucket until it gets some scale. And I think it's important. And I think we need to have more companies that are doing that. The thing that you have to understand about companies is that they are economic animals. And when it is no longer to their benefit uh, to be pushing this ESG stuff, it starts to go away. It starts to go sideways. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for all of us, you know, whether you have your money in a, a pension funded or 401k that's managed by a third party, whether you're you know, directly investing, you should be writing to these companies and saying, we don't want this. We want to have human flourishing. We want to have a variety of energy options. And if you continue down this path, Pull your money because that the ec the economic pain is the only thing that is really going to shift and change this. So I was looking at the the stability of the world. We have Joe Biden, who is not stable. Um, <laughs> we have um, Vladimir Putin, who looks stable. However, with the bombing over the weekend, uh, it could go unstable. I, I really believe that was probably an inside job. Um, but. It may not have been. If it is Ukraine, we're going to be blamed and things are going to get really ugly quickly. Um, there's something else, too, that nobody is talking about. The election of President Z is coming up in November. 
This is the last election. He doesn't become a permanent dictator until uh, until and unless he is elected this last time in November. And when uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, went over, if you remember, the press was saying, oh, Z won't stand for this. He'll shoot her plane out of the sky, which were crazy things. However, I'm told from people that have connections, deep connections in China, that this was the pushback on on Z trying to get people to say he's weak and dishonorable because to say he allowed this to happen. That's why they were pushing these extreme scenarios in all of their press. Um, So the entire world is unstable. And Vivek did an email or a um, podcast with me a couple of weeks ago, and he told me about the investments in China and how they're really shell organizations. It's you're not really investing in China, and I'm not sure people really understand that. And if China wants to pull out and wants to cripple us, wouldn't all they have to do is start to enforce the laws of there are no investors that are foreign? So yes, there are, you know, what, anytime you have a foreign company that is um, listed in the United States, there are a couple of different entities that may be involved where you don't necessarily have direct ownership. Um, An ADR, an American depository receipt is sort of a a claim on shares that are done through a bank. Wait, 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 ADR, that means you keep your money on deposit? So what it means is that there is an intermediate bank that goes and has sort of a foreign subsidiary. They buy the shares and they issue you the claim on those shares. So and this is done, by the way, by the biggest companies in the world, Mm -hmm. the Sonys of the world. There are, per the SEC, thousands of these uh, over 70 countries. So you don't necessarily have direct ownership there. The thing with China is that they have, you know, on top of the ADRs, another layer, these, these variable interest entities, VIEs, which I think is what Vivek is talking about. And this is a mechanism to try to get around the idea that you can't have foreign ownership of anything in China. Um, The reality of the situation, and I think that the the lead that is buried here, is that nobody really has ownership of anything in China because they are a communist country. I mean, even if you are a Chinese citizen and you buy a house, you don't own the land. You get a five to seven year lease there. So the reality is China doesn't need these VIEs to crack down. It can do whatever it wants. I don't know if you remember last year, there was a huge company out of China called Didi. It is their ride-sharing company. It's like the Uber of China. Mm -hmm. They decided they wanted to list in the United States. China was not happy about that. And they were worried that, you know, with audits and disclosures, that secrets were going to leak to the United States. That was their, um, uh, you know, what they said. But really, they just didn't like the power going over here. And, you know, Didi flouted that power. And what did they do? They opened an investigation. And within months, they delisted Didi from the New York Stock Exchange. And tens of billions of dollars of shareholder value was lost just because China said, yeah, we don't want you to do that. 
they disappeared Jack Ma for a while, you know, the, the head of Alibaba, um, and they put a, a, the kibosh on Ant Group, which is their huge financial services firm that owns Alipay, was potentially going to be one of the largest companies in the entire world. So they can exercise this. They, it doesn't matter about these entities. That they, the fundamental um, underlying issue is the fact that, you know, the, the communist control and on top of that, the fact the other thing that we haven't talked about is the rampant fraud that often happens with Chinese listed companies. So, you know, if you're going to be investing in China, um, you know, that little piece of how it's structured is, you know, one small concern over a whole it, large. It set of seems like this is another CDO situation that caused the breakdown of of oh, wait, I think we have a bigger CDO, if I'm not mistaken, we have a bigger CDO problem than we had in 2008. Right. Potentially, the the big issue that, in my opinion, that happened in two thousand eight um, was when they created these these securities. What happened was there were these other entities that sold insurance on mm -hmm. the securities that basically said, if if something goes wrong, we will pay you insurance, just like you insure the a house. The problem is that they sold like exponential factors more insurance than there were products. So it's like if you had 10 houses in your neighborhood and insurance policies were sold on a thousand houses, then every time one house burned down, you had to pay out for a hundred. That's really what what caused and not to say that there wouldn't have been a crisis. There still would have been. But what really caused the depth of that was that exponential insurance. Did that was sold we solve house. that problem? <laughs> um, you know I don't know that we did. They tried to, you know, rein it in some, but the reality is there are all kinds of derivative markets that are truly just gambling. And so there is a lot of systemic risk, in my opinion, in the market, um, because there are products that aren't actually tied to that direct ownership of something. And that's why, you know, in the face of you will own nothing from the World Economic Forum mm -hmm. that you want to hold, hold something physical as much as possible. I mean, even with like gold, you want to hold physical gold. You don't want to go buy an ETF because that ETF may, may or may not even have the gold. It may be a promise. So the, the closer you can get to an actual physical ownership of something um, is your best way to ensure that you actually do own something. Carol Roth, uh, you can follow her at her website, carolroth.com. Uh, it's also Carol J, uh, Carol J S Roth on Twitter. You can follow her there. And she has a brand new article out on blaze.com, uh, the blaze.com trying to uh, stop trying to turn America into Europe is the name of that uh, article you can find now. Carol, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. Great to see you. You bet. I have two dogs now, Uno, the older fellow, and Damon, who is um, full of energy. No, that's too, that's too calm uh, for that. Won't stop ever? Yeah, that's him. Uh, gave them rough greens. I'm actually starting to think maybe a little mercury would slow him down just a little bit. Uh, rough greens is uh is something that i feed both of them because i want both my dogs to be happy and healthy for as long as possible uno enjoys his rough greens damon now enjoys his rough greens uh sometimes when i feed it to him i'm 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 worried that i'm just gonna 
my dog is going to explode because they'll be so happy and he'll have so much energy. He's, I mean, a China syndrome could happen with this dog. Rough greens, not a dog food. It is a supplement that you sprinkle on the dog food, chock full of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and antioxidants. The folks at Rough Greens are so confident your dog is going to love it. They have a special deal for you. Roughgreens.com slash Beck. They're going to give you the first trial bag for free, for free. All you pay for is shipping. Just make sure that your dog likes it, and they don't want you to be out any money if if your dog doesn't like it. Roughgreens.com slash Beck, 833-GLEN-33, 833-GLENN-33, roughgreens.com slash Beck. Stay informed. Sign up for the free newsletter today at glennbeck.com. Welcome to the uh, program. I just have to share this with you. Uh, before Blaze, the Blaze went to a subscription model and we started our own network, before we even turned the lights on, we had 300,000 subscribers. 300,000 subscribers. Um, I'm only telling you this because CNN, the most powerful name in news, CNN Plus, we now have the numbers out. Hmm. They had 150,000 subscribers globally and no more than 10,000 people watching at any given time. <laughs> that is, that's an unmitigated disaster. Mm-hmm. I can see why they said, let's, let's pull the plug on this. Yeah. And people forget, too, that Brian Stelter got canceled from his show on CNN Plus. And then... A few weeks later, got canceled from his show on regular CNN. So people are like, oh, Brian Stelter got canceled. He got canceled twice in a couple of months. We should keep the facts straight here. I'm just saying. Stop beating up on Mr. Potato Head. Down. The Glenn Beck Program.